0: Welcome to the Association of Child Protection Professionals podcast, a weekly podcast where we, alongside guest hosts, share with you the latest in child and family news. Every week we invite safeguarding professionals with expertise in either research or practice to give us their perspective on the stories relating to children and families. There has never been a more important time to keep up with safeguarding But with the government regulation changing daily, we realise that not all frontline professionals have time to do so. That is why we've created these podcasts, to give you what you need to stay informed. Today, we have a special episode for you. In these special episodes, we take a more focused look at a singular issue relating to child or family safeguarding that you need to know about. These are often specific and urgent. So we are taking the time with the professionals at the forefront of this issue. But first, let's hear a few words from the AO team. Hi, I'm Maureen from the Association of
1: Child Protection Professionals Team and I'm here to tell you about our members meetings. Starting on the 11th of June from 12pm to 2pm, these virtual meetings will give members a space to share learning network and connect with the association membership community. Each fortnightly meeting will cover a different theme within child protection and safeguarding, and we welcome all members to join in on the discussion. Alongside this, members will be given the opportunity to shape what we do, with time to discuss our membership offer, podcast topics, training and events for the future. For questions about these network meetings or to register your interest, please email hello at aocpp.org.uk.
0: Thank you very much. Hello, I'm Wendy Thurgood, the Chair of the Association of Child Protection Professionals and your host for today. In today's episode, I'll be talking to Jan Haworth about child neglect during lockdown and the new normal that has been created. Jan is an Emeritus Professor of Child Welfare at the University of Sheffield, where she specialised in child protection, practice and management. Findings from her studies into neglect and assessment practice have underpinned the assessment framework in England, Wales, the Republic of Ireland, Ukraine and South Africa. Outside her academic appointment, Jan has worked for the Department of Child Abuse Training Unit. She also has a background in social work practice with a primary focus on vulnerable children and families and has worked as a practitioner, trainer, manager in a range of voluntary and statutory settings in both England and New Zealand. She has published on a variety of subjects including the assessment practice, child neglect, and training in social care. Her recent publication, edited with Denby Platt, is the third edition of Child's World, the essential guide to assessing vulnerable children. Young People and Their Families, which was launched at the AOCPP conference in 2019. In her work as a child welfare consultant, Jan continues to apply research to development practice and policy. To this end, she has developed an innovative, systemic approach to ensure the lived experience of vulnerable children is central to decision-making. So Jan, it's over to you to talk more in depth in relation to this conversation that we'll be having today.
1: Thank you, Wendy. My name is Jan Haworth. And as you've just outlined, I have a particular interest in child neglect. It occurred to me that child neglect is a particularly challenging area of practice to both assess and intervene. And lockdown has made it much harder. So, what I'm wanting to focus on in this podcast is thinking about how. The circumstances surrounding lockdown and the pandemic exacerbate the situation that neglectful children are experiencing. And to begin to think about how can practitioners realistically work with those families, bearing in mind all the constraints that they too are experiencing.
0: Yeah, Jan, I mean, it's such a topical impact on safeguarding because neglect is something that the everyday practitioner struggles with, let alone in a situation where they're locked down with these families suffering abuse and neglect. So over to you to pull out the key points that you're concerned about.
1: Well, if we sort of summarise neglect in a nutshell, what is it? Briefly, it's a failure on the part of the carer to meet the needs of the child. Being able to meet the needs of the child depends on both the motivation of the parent to meet those child's needs and also their ability to do that. But parenting doesn't occur in a vacuum, and it's also dependent on the opportunities that we provide parents to meet the needs of their children. And I think the big issue for me in terms of COVID-19 and the lockdown is that the opportunities to support parents and therefore to ensure the needs of the children are being met have been significantly reduced. So what I was thinking of was sort of describing some of the ways in which that is taking place. So if we think about the different needs of children, we can break them down into various categories. The first one to think about is medical needs and how can parents meet those needs. This is particularly challenging now because who wants to go and see a GP? Who wants to enter a health centre, leave alone if the child has an accident going to a hospital? Therefore, I believe that there will be circumstances where children's medical needs aren't being met because the parents are concerned about what will happen if I take a child to the hospital or to a doctor's. Am I putting them at increased risk? I think there are also challenges in terms of what do you do if you become pregnant? Do you seek care or indeed? If you become unexpectedly pregnant and are thinking about an abortion, what do you do about that? So I think there are going to be a lot of situations pre-birth and post-natally where these children from conception on are going to be very vulnerable. We also need to think about some of these children will be in families where COVID-19 is already existing. So they are going to be vulnerable or they could be carriers. We don't know. Because these families may be not alert to what they should be looking for or dismissing some of these concerns, again, there's a vulnerability.
0: Within my world of health, we've been doing a lot of work about actually still accessing health appointments, but we've seen a dramatic decrease. And equally, the flip side of that is if a parent or a carer is taken into hospital, obviously the children can't go. There has been cases in the middle of the night where the ambulance services had to just leave them and take the adult and make a call to social care, or they've knocked up a neighbour. So we haven't got the usual safety net there as well which equally can lead on to other concerns, they should still access care if they can. But as I say, it's the dramatic decrease that we've seen. We know from health, the delayed presentation of certain injuries can be much worse if you don't actually seek help.
1: And I think that is sort of without recognising that some of the general public health that we will be attempting to access the families like immunizations and routine checks that they aren't taking place in the way that they did. So that whole area of how a parent meets the medical needs of the children have been affected by covid And if we move on and just think about another need, which is around meeting the child's nutritional needs, I think, again, that is a real issue because so many of these families are dependent on free school meals, which they're not accessing. We know they're entitled to £15 vouchers to buy food and so forth. Many of them aren't accessing those vouchers or their problems with providing those vouchers. And also, it doesn't go that far, particularly for families who aren't used to cooking, who may not be able to have access to microwaves, cookers, fridges, and so on. I think, again, we're going to have issues with the food that is available to children and how that is being accessed and utilised. The consequences can be that children will be nutritionally deficient. Another essential need is the child's emotional needs. This is a time of increased anxiety and stress. And the child will be living in an environment that is unusual to the parents and carers as well. So anxieties and stresses will be heightened and we know significant increase in domestic violence, just the family tensions of being confined in a small space. And then having to look after children with very specific needs within that space. So, for example, children with ADHD, how do you explain to them disruption in their routine? How do you manage a child in a very confined space who has particular special needs? We also know that mental health services like CAMHS aren't as accessible And therefore, children who already have emotional issues aren't having their needs addressed. And that's without even thinking through their fears about COVID. Is my parent going to die? Are my grandparents going to die? And so on. Or, indeed, when that situation arises, what support are they being offered to deal with any bereavement? And how's that being managed? In terms of educational needs, we know that there's been a really poor take-up of children going to school amongst these vulnerable children. And UNICEF reckoned that children will be losing at least four months' education. And there is a huge divide between children who often come from poor, deprived families and are neglected and those that are better off. For example, the digital divide. Do children have access to tablets, phones? Is one family trying to share one iPhone to download work? There's inadequate space and facilities. How can children who often struggle with their concentration cope in a very confined space if there aren't facilities there for them to engage with learning? If English isn't the parent's first language or they have poor reading skills, how are they able to support that learning? And children who should be at preschool, there's a lack of stimulation for those children. Are parents providing them with the activities that would normally help their growth and development? And it's not just about the educational environment a child gets from school. It's also about the social networks. They're not able to engage with children in the same way with their peers. How can they access their friends if they have no online presence? And often, if there is a presence online, these are the very children who are vulnerable to abuse on the Internet as they're spending more time on the internet and are feeling particularly vulnerable. Also, there's a lack of access to family support networks, and we know for some of these families that is what is sustaining the children at home. It's also very likely that parents who are struggling with these children may be quite relieved if the children, particularly older teenagers, are leaving the family home and then we don't know what risk-taking behaviours that they are engaging. And we do know that many of these children are becoming involved in county lines. That also affects their physical health if they're being confined within the home. Many of these families live in flats, multiple occupancy, they don't have access to gardens. So children aren't engaging in healthy behaviours outside the school. It's a very sedentary lifestyle and that can lead to issues of obesity. And final issue that I want to bring to people's attention is thinking about opportunities in relation to supervision and safety. Because some of these children, uh, particularly the older ones, have managed to cope with a very volatile home life by sofa surfing. We know that that isn't as available to them as it was because of social distancing. And therefore, they are far more vulnerable to becoming homeless or being identified by gangs who will use them in county lines. Again, children missing from home are not so easily identified because there isn't that range of professionals who are picking up on these children. This too can affect the way that they see themselves because there is an increased load on young carers, children where maybe the parent's been taken ill, the parent isn't coping and they're having to look after younger children within the family. The parent's health may be deteriorating, which is again putting a burden on these young children. It's all these opportunities that are missing, which is exacerbating the tensions, I believe, in terms of neglect taking place.
0: Thank you, Jan. It's an area that I think all over the country, professionals struggle with neglect. And you've just explained the diversity in such a way that people always think of neglect and a neglected family. And I don't think they think wider. And you've shone a light in relation to that. I mean, the key points are as we've got to get professionals to start thinking about how they're going to make up that ground, how they're actually working with those families now. A big chunk of work I've been working with GPs is the importance of just keeping up the basic immunizations and seeing those children and asking those questions. How are they coping? Are they eating? And particularly with new mums, they don't have the ability to even get their babies weighed. So they don't know if those babies are thriving or not. And we know how important those first few weeks and months are for the development. So professionals have to start thinking about how they can reduce the barriers. We're moving into that time where there is going to be more accessible services, but there will be key families that I think we have to target to look at to see exactly what's been going on. And that's what people have got to start thinking about is the succession planning and how we can make up for that lost ground. I mean, the thought of losing four months education is quite horrific. The thought of somebody being contained in a flat in a really abusive situation, you know, their mental health is just going to be compounded, isn't it, in relation to everything else that's going on. So the, the services have to be ready very much in a partnership response. Whereas neglect has been on people's agenda, I think, for a while, it's always one of those ones that just bubbles along. So I think it has to be a key focus of the partnership as we've moved back into it. I mean, we know the investment that we've been putting into early help, and that has kind of just been paused, has not it? And it's where it's going to come into the priority, and we have to go back to that early help for all stages in the child's life, not just the beginning. During lockdown, I've become a grandmother, and I've been horrified at some of the medical intervention that my daughter's got. I mean, fortunately, I'm there. I can guide her and support her, and she's a very sensible young girl, but you know how vulnerable you feel at those times. But that's that's a family that is quite strong compared to a family that's struggling. And One area I hadn't thought about is if people are pregnant and actually want a termination, they're not likely to get it. So we could be facing the fact that because of the amount of weeks that somebody actually has to carry to term without that opportunity. And I don't think that's something professionals have really thought about. So that was really insightful. So much to think and talk about. I was trying to capture points as you were talking, but there were so many, and particularly in relation to the county lines, because we've done a lot of work with the looked after teams in relation to children. If they leave their safe environment, obviously they can't always go back, particularly in the midst of the COVID, because foster carers don't want them back. There have been some very good partnership working surrounding county lines that served that disruption. But you were right to touch on the internet because we've seen far higher internet activity reaching into every child's home because they're on the phone and the parents have thought that they're working when they're not or Eh. they're vulnerable to actually getting into conversations and the cry for normality to go out, they can easily be groomed. That was one of the key points. But as I say, with health professionals, we haven't closed our doors, nor have social workers. There is still business as usual, but of course there is a barrier. People can say, actually, there's someone in the house who's got symptoms and the social worker won't obviously meet with the family. But it's how we have been creative. I know a lot of social workers are doing a lot of conversations online online. And they've seen some quite positive results, especially some of the complex teenagers who feel that they can actually talk a bit better remotely. But that obviously isn't the same access for younger children or families that we know that are struggling and suffering. And equally, we know that they're at risk of abuse. People can pretend that they're a volunteer when they're not really a volunteer and they're actually going on those vulnerable families. We've equally been trying to link with government and saying some of the messages need to actually be more child friendly because you imagine children watching some of this news. If you've got any form of anxiety, it's it's just going to layer it on, isn't mm-hmm. it? We've been trying to encourage that. We still have support lines and I think there's been lots of adverts in relation to child line where people can talk if they can. You know, the children can actually access help. But it's so much harder if you're contained in a house and you haven't got access to that or via the Internet, is it?
1: Yeah, but I, I think during this time, what is really important is about practitioners being able to maintain some contact so for all these children what is important is some form of stability so some of these households are really chaotic in the way that the parents parent the child doesn't know what to expect from one minute to the next school often provide that form of stability I recently spoke to a teacher, and she said that what she does is she rings every child in her class. She said, I only speak to them for 10, 15 minutes, but it's a contact, and they know when I'm going to ring them. Just something as simple as that can make such a difference to how a child feels. Likewise, children who are feeling very anxious, and stressed. And under some circumstances, parents are going to say things to them like, oh, I wish you got COVID and died. And those children are going to be left really, really worried and anxious to have some contact where they're able to talk about that anxiety and how they feel. And I think, you know, a mentor, someone that's been through a DBS check can act as a volunteer contact just to reassure children and keep them going. But as soon as lockdown eases, practitioners are going to have to deal with the fallout of this. And I think that is where it's going to become incredibly challenging.
0: And it has to be done in partnership, doesn't it, Jan? They, yes. No one, yes. No one professional can actually tackle that. Right. So this should be top of the, the list when they're actually meeting and how they're going to identify the newborn sector that are coming through. that yeah. have had no interaction. And the, the fear there, in my mind, is that mums are going to be so anxious, you're going to see a little flurry of fabricating induced illness type of thing because they're going to be so concerned. And and then you have that whole cohort and how they're going to settle back in school. And I think the teachers are a bit of an unsung hero because I, like you, I've heard some really good examples of the practice. And it is that physical checking in, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. But I think it's also, I mean, I was reading the practice review panel's overview and they talked about the importance of sophisticated conversations. Mm. And for me, that says it all. And I think one of the things that we really need to be doing once lockdown eases is really not just to have sophisticated conversations, but to engage in sophisticated information sharing. Things like really thinking through what would have been like for that child in that environment for weeks on end. How can we begin to address some of the issues that may have occurred? And that's only going to happen if people across the partnership engage in a meaningful way. One thing that I have written is I've looked at the different forms of neglect, how they manifest themselves, and prepared a handout, which is on the AOCPP website getting practitioners to think about the impact and some of the parenting behaviours, some of the children's responses that they will need to address on a multidisciplinary basis once they can engage more effectively with families.
0: That's fantastic, Jan. I mean, something that I used to do in practice was encourage stop and think meetings, especially if you were a bit stuck, and that would be a really good way to start. Stop think about what's been the impact for that family, what activity has happened, because the police might have a list of domestic violence incidents, you know, what actually has been gone into being supported, um, like you say, physical diet, emotional, mental health of the whole family. Yeah, that's a really good point, Jan. I think we've come to a natural end. Is there any closing statement that you'd like to to make? I think really key
1: is congratulating practitioners across the piece on how they are supporting families. I've had contact from a significant number of practitioners and I've been inspired really by some of the creative thinking and the ways that they have provided an oasis for some of these children when they're living in the miserable desert of COVID-19. Mixing metaphors, but there you go. (laughs) Well,
0: Jan, that, that because we do forget all the good work that is actually going on. So that's a really nice ending statement. So thank you very much what we are doing within the association is we're trying to meet our members' needs so this is such a hot topic jan so i'd like to invite you back to actually meet some of the members with this do you think that's something that you could offer
1: yes well i hope i can offer something yes
0: <laughs> so thank you so much for your time it's been and a pleasure the lovely weather that is actually happening out there and um, speaking to you again soon Thank you for listening to the AOCPP's podcast. If there are any specific topics you want to discuss in future episodes, please email us at hello at aocpp.org.uk. And if you would like more information about the Association of Child Protection Professionals, including the free membership trial that we are running for the next few months, then visit our website, childprotectionprofessionals.org.uk. Thank you.